Hey, hey, any youth leaders out there? Serving with youth in the church is probably one of the most enjoyable callings, but it brings with it a lot of responsibility. How do we effectively lead this rising generation? Well, I have good news for you. Leading Saints has organized the Young Saints Virtual Library, where we have 20 plus hours of presentations all about how to lead youth. We cover topics like how to help youth transition into adulthood, how to help them avoid loneliness, how to handle smartphones in class, and we even go over scientific data about how Latter-day Saint youth differ from other youth. If you'd like to review the Young Saints Library at no cost for 14 days, simply go to leadingsaints.org 14. That's leadingsaints.org 14. While you're at it, we'll give you access to all of our virtual libraries that cover several leadership related topics. So click the link in the show notes or simply visit leadingsaints.org 14. So my name is Kurt Frankum, and I am the founder and executive director of Leading Saints and obviously the host of the Leading Saints podcast. Now, I started Leading Saints back in 2010. It was just a hobby blog, and it grew from there. By the time uh, 2014 came around, we started the podcast, and that's really when it got some uh, traction and took off. Uh, 2016, we became a 501c3 nonprofit organization, and we've been growing ever since. And now I get the opportunity of an of interviewing and talking with remarkable people all over the world. Now, this is a segment we do on the Leading Saints podcast called How I Lead. And we reach out to everyday leaders. They're not experts, gurus, authors, PhDs. They're just everyday leaders who've been asked to serve in a specific leadership calling. And we simply ask them, how is it that you lead? And they go through some remarkable principles that should be in a book, that should be behind a PhD. They're, uh, they're usually that good. And uh, we just talk about uh, sharing what the other guy's doing. And I remember being a leader, just simply wanting to know, okay, I know what I'm trying to do, but what's the other guy doing? What's working for him? And so that's why every Wednesday or so, we publish these How I Lead segments to share. did it guys i'm so excited to share this with you charla dance is on the leading saints podcast many of you have written to me emailed me and said do you know about charla dance she runs this great resource called teachingprimarymusic.com and uh, she is the expert when it comes to all things primary music leader and uh, obviously it's a leadership calling right this is where testimony begins, is in primary, and uh, Charlotte has some remarkable tactics and approaches to teaching children music and teaching them children's hymns, right? Primary hymns. Now, if you're listening to this podcast this through the audio, it, it'll be fine. You'll still enjoy it. It'll be great. However, she does a lot of actions and movements and shows different uh, visual aids and things like that. And so uh, we'll put the link in the show notes to the video of this interview. If you want to get the full experience there, jump over to YouTube. And hey, while you're over there, you might as well subscribe to the Leading Saints channel on YouTube because we are constantly putting out stuff there, not only podcast episodes, but other things. So make sure you also uh, check that out. All right, you're going to love this. You're, I need you to send this to every primary music leader you have, every primary president you know. Uh, this is this is 
crucial information. So here's my interview with Sharla Dance. After so many recommendations, we finally have a Sharla dance on the on the podcast. How are you, Sharla? Good. I'm good. <laughs> you know, I have. I've gotten a lot of emails and people mentioning your resources and things. And uh, and you, I mean, how do you, how do you explain what you do through your online resources? Um, I a long time ago when I saw that people were doing things like um, throw a dart at a balloon and pop the balloon and then you could sing the song. I'm a music educator and so it was like, that doesn't have anything to do with the song. There must be a better way to prepare the children. There must be a better way to have them, you know, experience the music and experience the song and then have the song teach them. Gotcha. So yeah, I, I, I've seen various forms of that, right? You wanna, you wanna make primary that's, uh, you know, primary singing time that's interactive. And so you think of different activities, but it's even better when the activity sort of involves the song or whatnot, right? Totally. Yeah. So was there, I assume, and, and I, I want to highlight here, like this is the Leading Saints podcast and this calling in the handbook, I'm trying to rack my brain of some others. There's probably a few more. The official calling is primary music leader, right? Yeah. And so, I mean, this is one of the few callings where leader is actually in the yep. in the title, right? Totally so is. I always try and catch myself when I talk about this calling that it's not the the what is it the chorister chorister. It's not the primary chorister. The you are English the word. primary music yeah. leader, right? It's an English chorister means an English uh, choir boy. Oh, but we've well, there you go. evolved it in um, English in the American English, and it's so it's like uh it's not exactly and you know what we're not we're not a chorister or a conductor we are music leaders that's right it's the that's right. gospel doctrine teacher for the children through music yeah i love it so are, are do you have a music background like wh where does the where does this really all begin for you I, as a child, really embarrassed my mom because I would sing wherever I went, and it was really <laughs> embarrassing for her. And then I got into college. Um, okay, here's a backstory. I got lost okay. in the bottom of the De Young uh, Harris Fine Arts Center um, and at and BYU. I, at BYU, and I couldn't get out. And so I thought I am never going into music at this school. And so <laughs> I went into horticulture. I went into English, and then finally it was like. No, I, I really want to go into music. So I started oh, cool. studying music education at BYU. Nice. Yeah. Nice. And then uh, did you make a career out of that or are you in a career that's um, related to that? Well, come to find out, I got married. I was on a dance team. I was on a dance and performing team. And then I had to take one last class and it was uh, music for children, which I wasn't really interested in. <laughs> so ironic. Um, from Susan Kenny. And it changed the way I taught all of my music. And it was like, wow, okay. And so I changed and then, you know, I started having children of my own and just wanted to find a way to teach them. I guess the seminal um, thing that happened was I had a seven-year-old daughter, my oldest daughter at that time, um, was diagnosed with a brain tumor in the back of her head. Oh, and wow. they said, yeah, she's gonna be in special needs all the rest of her life. And we're like, 
Oh, I don't think so, because this daughter's brilliant. She taught herself to read when she was five. The school came to me after first grade and said, we cannot handle your daughter. You're going to have to put her in an excelled school. I was like, oh, wow. And then then the brain tumor. And then I did a lot of research because we had to put the brain back together kind of thing because radiation, what they didn't tell me is that nobody with that particular child's disease, um, medulloblastoma had lived. And so Mm. they hit her with adult doses of radiation, which really messes up your learning pathways. Oh, so it's not necessarily the tumor as much as the treatment. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, wow. So I did a ton of research and I happened to be teaching primary music. And so I just applied it, you know, all of the brain research to primary music. So, wow. That's fascinating. Yeah. So, uh, yeah. So how many times have you been the uh, primary music leader? Um, about 10 different words and stakes. Oh, wow. And so (laughs) there needs to be an award. I don't know what it is, but we should come up with it. So you've earned it. (laughs) That's cool. When we were living in California, um, I, we were going to the BYU music, uh, workshop that they used to have. And, um, the girl that was writing with me said, we can do this here. We have so many resources here in the Bay area. We were in the Bay area and mm-hmm. she said, I'll do it if you'll help. And so we put on a music workshop and I started teaching music workshops back then, way back then. Cause I've lived here for 26 years. So it's been a long time since I was in California. Nice. And there is uh, Seattle, Washington, right? Uh, Kind of Redmond, Washington. Okay. Think of oh Redmond. Uh, okay, that's gotcha. where we live. It's a very cool. techy city. So. I bet. Yep. Yep. Well, great. And then you have a resource online called TeachingPrimaryMusic.com, and that's where uh, that's why so many people recommended that I reach out to you. Is, is people have found this resource and and found a lot of benefit from it. Um, when did the, this website and sort of the online resource begin? <laughs> oh my goodness. Well. Um, People would come to me and say, I cannot remember what you said in your workbook, in your workshop. So can you write some of these things down? And people would say, what, what should we do here? What, what do we do about this song? So I started to try and compile like a blog. I, um, I have a son who's very tech oriented. And so he set it up for me. And in fact, right now, there's a couple of women on the uh, Facebook page. I didn't name it, but it's called Charlotte Dance Teaching Methods. I didn't name it. <laughs> and um, they have said, we will help you do your website free. We really want this resource to be out because it's very mishmash. You know, just uh-huh. I just threw up ideas up there. So coming soon and nice. new version will be a That's lot great. better. And then you do a lot of stuff through uh, YouTube as well, right? Um, over the... Con- um, the pandemic, uh, uh-huh. I was called to be the primary music leader and he said, you know, we, we're not meeting, but can you do it over YouTube? So I did a ton of those. So about what, six months of that. And then people put things up of, of me that they've seen in workshops. Um, my son recorded a couple of workshops. There's those on sale at the, you know, on that teaching primary music. Mm-hmm. And then people find out about it through the website teaching prime, um, What's it called? Charlotte Dance Teaching Methods. It's so embarrassing. Um, the <laughs> Facebook. And then there's uh-huh. another one where there's Latter-day Saint music leaders, I think, children, primary music leaders or something like yeah. that. And yeah, I remember um, 
a few years ago, I interviewed Governor Cox, who's currently the the uh, governor of Utah. But when I oh. interviewed him, he was the lieutenant governor, and oh. he actually uh, talked about that Facebook group. That was his calling. He was the primary music <laughs> leader and the lieutenant governor of Utah. I think they've released him since then. But <laughs> um, uh, uh, but uh, yeah, but he talked about going to that group, and you know, he just jump in and ask questions with the rest of them. So That's it's a great. it's a great resource. That's so great. and we'll link to all this in the show notes so people okay. uh, have a place to go because we're not going to cover all of the. I know you hate it. The, the Charlotte dance methods. They're just true principles. They're just research yeah, and true. principles that I've amassed and it goes through me. It's just an instrument. It's not, yeah. I am not the creator. I am. The, oh, believe am me. We get, we get that at leading saints. I've done a lot of interviews and people have quickly figured out this isn't because I I'm leading the interview by any means, but, um, and obviously we can't, we can't talk about every method, but I just want to maybe, uh, do maybe a mini workshop here and you can show us some methods or talk through some principles. And you are so kind to send me a list of principles that maybe if you're to sit down with a brand new primary music leader and say, all right, here you go. Um, the, here, here's some principles to, to consider and move forward with. So, okay. uh, should we jump into those? Where's a good uh, starting point? Sure. Here's a backstory. Okay. Um, my son who has recorded, you know, three or four of my workshops and the workshops are three hours long. They're not short because there's so oh, much wow. to cover and so many questions. Um, and he's, he's not only recorded them, but he's edited them. So he has seen hours and hours and hours of me tattooing principles. He was called to be the primary music leader in his new ward. <laughs> I love it. And he said, so mom, what should I do? And I said, you know, the principles, it's okay. You, you can do this. He goes, no, no, no. I do know the principles, but I just don't want to die in front of the kids. And I think, <laughs> okay, all right, let's figure out what some core things you can do. You can do core things that you don't have to know the research or the principles and you will live in front of the kids. Uh -huh. and, and part of that was you need to teach three songs in that 20 minute time period, three different activities and you need to involve the children with moving and you need to have all of those activities be different and you need to bear your testimony every single time hmm. but only in one or two sen sentences and he was like okay i can do that <laughs> nice so that's the rough outline that's so the rough what, outline but that's uh, what was it again run through it one more time um teach uh, three different songs three with songs three different activities okay three and activities bear your testimony every time but only in one or two sentences and and but that doesn't tell you why that works and why it's so wonderful for the prince for the kids and for the children and even for the leaders i often yeah. will have uh, leaders um teachers that are sitting in the audience is it an audience no the congregation sure yeah say, um <laughs> wow is that music time's over? Oh, okay. Because it goes so quickly because it's good principles and it's good. Um, it's based on research of the brain. So, yeah. Yeah. And obviously I'm not, I haven't spent much time in the primary last few years, maybe a few substitute uh, moments, but, and it's changed since two hours. Now what's roughly how, how much time does a music, a, a primary music leader have on, on generally speaking? About 20 minutes. And that okay. is if the Bishop doesn't let, sacrament run over and that is if oh, yeah. the primary president doesn't feel like she needs to talk a long time you know things like yeah that. so roughly <laughs> on average you get about 20 minutes to to do those those three those mm -hmm. three things so the church um, actually comes out with three different songs that they would like you to touch on every single month um a lot of people um feel like they need to go out and find extra music and extra special things and um they don't realize that it's a global church and when the children's 
go on vacation, if they go to a different primary that's singing those same songs, it is an amazing feeling of inclusion. So I yeah, that's propose cool. that, yes, you do those three songs. I actually do four, but I've been teaching a long time. You're, you're a trained expert here. Boom, sure. boom, that's, that's, <laughs> <laughs> nice. So uh, the first principle you have here is uh, that you believe that every child should be actively involved with the specific song. We touched on this earlier, right? Not just to have an activity, just to have an activity, uh, but to you know work it into the song so that yeah. they're involved in the song. Yeah. Maybe expand on that. So I really believe that children are um, primarily tactile and they love to touch things and they, they kick and they hit and they scratch and, and those kinds of things. Um, but then I was reading in my scriptures and found, you know, in third Nephi where chapter 11, where the Christ comes and he says, arise and come forth and thrust your hands into my side and feel the prints, of the nails in my hand. And there were 2000 people. It, took a long time to do that. And he only had three days that we know of. Yeah. So he really wanted them to touch and feel and see and know and experience for themselves. So I really want the children to have that kind of experience with a song. They need to be touching, moving, doing, you know, puzzling, really working things out with that song. And it's amazing what it'll do for the children. Yeah. And, and really that goes, I mean, um, I, I try various things, even on, when I'm teaching adults is the more senses you can involve in the experience, it's going to connect with the brain differently and, and they'll remember it better. Yes. So much. Yeah. Yes. And anything else as far as getting kids involved or any like tactics that uh, they could, if, if maybe a music leader sort of stumped on, I don't know how to get them involved with this or that song or. Um, well, Yes. If you're going to make the music come alive, you've got to be really aware that the music rides on a beat and a rhythm and melody. And that's why mm -hmm. it's different than talking. It goes into a different place in the brain, actually. Um, the talking side goes into one and the music side goes into another place in the brain. So if nothing else, get unsharpened pencils and have the children tap, but don't have them just tap and tap and tap and just nothing you know, yeah. do a tap, tap, freeze, tap, tap, freeze. Now move it up above your head, tap, tap, freeze, because they need to be challenged when they repeat that. They don't realize they're tapping the beat. They don't realize they're hearing the song come through their uh, ears when you're tapping the beat and that they're involved because they're trying to keep up with you. Where's the pencils going? Um, I call it the back door. So often uh, we have music leaders that want to drill the words and that's something that children hate <laughs> I can just oh, tell yeah. you from experience. <laughs> but if they are listening to the song and involved in those different activities that like you're moving, you're puzzling, you're something else, they start to just pull in the words. They start to pull in the music. They start to put everything together. It's an amazing experience to have yeah. that at the end of five weeks. Oh, I don't need to learn that song. I already just know it. They don't realize that you've been working hard for five weeks to try yeah. and give it to them. <laughs> yeah. And I, I love that just that, you know, those that like that tactic with the pencils can work really with any song because you're just trying to connect them with the rhythm and the beat yeah. um, of it. And oftentimes we'll default as I've just my limited experience, you know, we'll default to songs like, 
I'm all made of hinges or do as I'm doing because naturally it's like they're going to get involved. Right. But to, to then it's very like freeing and really opens up that children's songbook of knowing like, no, you can do that type of thing with any song. Any of the songs. It doesn't have to talk about moving right. or have to talk about, you know, right. action. You can do it with any song. So one of the things I'm veering off into a rabbit hole, but one of the okay, things that happens it. with a song is if you teach a song and you're marching to it, and yet it's a smooth, graceful song, you're, you're not teaching the essence of the song and it won't mm. affect the children the way that it could. So yeah. you also have to make the movements. If you're going to do something that's smooth, you know, use a scarf that waves in the air. Oh, yeah. Don't, don't, you know, march because it's so different from what the essence and the message of the song is. So yeah. I think yeah, that's that, Yeah. So, in, I mean, and that'd be so cool to have a room full of these scarves that are waving right to the smooth reverent music. Okay. So here's another story. Okay. Um, love it. Here in the Northwest, we have a camp that's up in the mountains. And in the fall, in September, we have single adults from all over the region. So Alaska, Hawaii, um, Oregon, Washington, they come to that camp and they bring their children. And this year they asked me to work with the children. There were about 60 of them. And they said, can you teach the children a primary? I was like, mm -hmm. okay. So I've never seen the children before. They're out of their element. They're out in the wilderness, right? And so um, we did, the first thing that I did was, I feel my Savior's love. You know, I feel my Savior's love in all the world around me. His spirit warms my soul through everything I see. The children were just right there all the time wow. because they were trying really hard to do what I was doing with the scarf. Then I changed to another um, thing right away. Um, we we moved. We did um, rhythm sticks. We did egg shakers. We did scarves. Every child came away from that just excited, connected, happy, um, wanting more. It was a wonderful experience for me. Wow. Yeah. So you're not just arbitrarily having them wave the scarf. You may teach them a pattern. Yeah. Uh, and, and some of those patterns are tied to the words or, you know, what you're saying. Yes. Um, <laughs> Here's another rabbit hole. So okay. um, a lot of the research I've done says that the frontal lobe has to develop in order for us to have executor function. I should not kick my neighbor. I, I really should do my homework. I, you know, things like that. Yeah. Things that kids struggle with at times. <laughs> uh, yeah, because this doesn't um, become complete until age 24, 25. But so yeah. they're learning about it. But the only thing they know how to help the frontal lobe develop is steady, a beat, steady beat, purposeful movement to a steady beat. We do that every single week in primary. If you are doing some of these kinds of things, purposeful movement to a steady beat. It helps regulate, it helps organize, it stops the chaos. It's amazing what it'll do. There's a wow. lot of children that cannot do a steady beat on the outside. And that also means they can't cut with scissors. That also means they can't chant something with somebody because they don't know when to come in. Mm -hmm. Pretty amazing stuff. Yeah. Okay. So even right. them practicing a, a beat can lead to them just having additional you know, uh, movement skills or whatever the word is, right? Practicing a beat, you can have frontal lobe development. It's so yeah. amazing. Wow. Yeah. And you also, that is so cool. you'll not be sitting on the bench when you play sports because when you have coordination with a steady beat, you do better.
So ah, I love it. Love it. <laughs> now I imagine that, you know, going back to the scarves, like as you teach using these different things, mm-hmm. that they're not mainly there to teach. I mean, you may end up using these maybe in the primary program in sacrament meeting. I mean, using the scarves or whatnot, or what do you think? No? <laughs> no, it's sacrament meeting. It's a sacred, <gasps> okay. wonderful place for an ordinance. So the children just sing their heart out after they've done something with scarves and done something with like, these are pool noodles that I've cut. Uh-huh. You can see, and then I cut a yeah, yeah. part and we do this kind of thing with them. Oh, okay. Yeah. Tap them. Um, when they have experienced the song in all these different ways, and then I tell them to just stand up and sing with their hearts, and we do some things that they can do with dynamics, they don't need those props anymore. They have mm. experiences, they have things to remember that help them. It's called a hook. The brain has hooks that they can go into a different memory and they have all these different hooks to go into a song. Yeah. So do you remember a long, long time ago, a little girl fell down an empty well in the Midwest? Yes. And she was there. It was quite the media. Yes. She was for a long, long time. They could not get down to her. They couldn't get her out. Um, And she, at the bottom of the well, comforted herself by singing, I am a child of God. It was a Latter-day Saint family, right? It was. And I believe that if you teach a child a song with all of these different hooks, the song will come back to teach the child and he will come back to teach the child doctrine when they need it. But they have to really know the song. So yeah, I'm not a little passionate about it. (laughs) Yeah, I love it, Charlotte. And Man, I just have to pause and give a shout out to Janice Luker, who was my primary music leader. And I remember serving as a bishop, sitting in the primary at times and singing those songs. And like in an instant, my my mental you know memories, I'm just taken back to that primary class, Hook. learning these yeah these hooks right. And and Janice Luker was really that initial. And then I saw her you know a few years ago, and I I. I shared this gratitude with her, just that you taught me the gospel first, you know, like I, I know about the stories of Jesus and I know, you know, all these things that hooked in my brain and that led to a flourishing testimony as that front or lobe developed because mm. I had that foundation, you know, I, love that. Awesome. Yeah. I would love every child to have that experience. Yeah. So, um, and I don't know if this comes up in some of the other principles, but you mentioned that sometimes a primary music leader will double down on or, or hyper-focus on, we got to get the words in their brains. You know, if they just learn the words, then we can sing the songs. And so, you know, you see different methods of maybe they hold up a heart or they have a, you know, a few words, uh, you know, written words, and then some symbols in there to mm-hmm. help them trigger that. And then they show that, you know, during primary program, whatnot is, I mean, that that's one tactic. Is that, is there a better way to do we just maybe give up on the effort or the main focus of getting them to learn the words and focus elsewhere. I mean, what comes to mind with that dynamic? I love that you asked that question because I can just jump right off and answer. Oh, nice. Good. Let's do it. (laughs) So um, when you think of a song, it rides on a steady beat. There's a beat that's underneath every song that's ever sung. Mm -hmm. Um, There is a rhythm to the words and that's why it's different from the beat. So, that kind of thing all has to lodge Mm -hmm. in the brain. And then on top of that, there's a melody that goes up and then comes down. And those things have to be in place for the brain to hook the words into them. And so I would say 
we need to focus on the beat and the rhythm and the melody while singing the words. And it's amazing that the brain then has a spot to put the memories into. If you, if you're saying, okay, here's the words, I'm going to say them and then you sing them. That's, um, can I say ridiculous? Because <laughs> that's fine. <laughs> because they haven't heard the beat or the rhythm or the melody yeah. that it rides on, and you're expecting them to put on the whipped cream without having the substance of what goes underneath it. Ah, fascinating! So wow, yeah, we yeah. really need that rhythm and that beat and that you know the melody. Yeah. So typically, what I see is you know, okay, we're going to le learn a new song, kids. And, you know, here's, let's go over the first line and the second line, right? And get that down. Then we'll go to the third line and, and maybe, and so you're saying just, just sing the song and get the rhythm and beat down. Even if maybe you're the only one singing the actual words or the, the teachers are the ones singing. And then over time it, it hooks in there. Is that a good explanation? Well, good. Straighten me out, Charlotte. Okay, I'll, I'll straighten you out. So <laughs> if the child is not involved somehow with that beat and that rhythm and that melody, then you singing is probably going to have somebody staring at the ceiling, somebody kicking the chair in front of them. You're going to have a lot of discipline problems because they're not engaged. So I actually give um, things to every child. They're underneath the teacher's chairs. And I say, teachers, you have 10 seconds to pass this out. For instance, you know, if you have spoons, if I don't walk as most people do, some people walk away from you, but I won't, I won't. And every child's doing it. They don't have to know the words. They uh -huh. can just come from, uh, yeah. you know, Timbuktu and come and sing with me because they're just doing the spoons and copying them with me. Uh, gotcha. And then immediately I go on to something else. Like if they don't have egg shakers, if they have a little thing like this, um, they can sing another song. I belong to the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. So they're moving, they're moving to the beat, they're hearing the words, they're really excited, they love to make noise. And uh, everybody can join because you don't have to know the words, I'm the one that has to know the words. And then eventually I'll say, what words did we do when we shook it? I belong to the church of... Mm. And they go, uh, Jesus Christ. And yeah. so I have them fill in the words. There's... Oh, I don't know how far the, down the rabbit hole you oh, want. Let's go a little further, Charlotte. Come on. <laughs> okay, so <laughs> there is a process called audiation, which means singing a song in your head. It's one of the strongest ways to remember a song. It's one of the strongest memory things you can do for music. And so if I leave out words and make the kids fill, fill them in, but only a word here or a word here, they really have to concentrate. They have to audiate. They have to hear the word in the song in their head and then pop out um, of latter day. Uh -huh. They have to fill it in and sing it out loud. And it's a strong, strong way for a child to learn a song. Wow. Yeah. So, And again, these are, you go into various tactics and, and ways and methods and, you know, in your resources. So I don't want to feel like people, we're cutting them short. There's, we just don't have time. We have to go on hours here. So, uh, <laughs> so that's good. That's good. Um, all right. Let's get the next principle. I don't know if we've covered already, but children need to move to learn, especially purposeful movement to a steady beat. I think you've, have we covered that? Anything else to mention there? Um, just that the resource resource shows that children that do movements 
um, the first movements that come in the brain, um, like walking um, to, to a steady beat, they don't realize they have to walk steadily. Um, the moving your arm across like that or moving it across the body like that, those turn into thinking cells. So if you in primary, we're doing some kind of steady beat and mm -hmm. then we swing our arms across and swing our arms across, we have this amazing capability to turn the whole body into a thinking machine. Mm. It really does activate all the neurons that's popping off in the head. You know that children are born with way more brain cells than we are, and they gradually die off, especially mm. as they're not used. And so when you activate them with the body moving to a steady beat, it's amazing what happens in the children's brains. Yeah. Yeah, that's powerful. Love that. And I, I'm curious, I mean, have you had callings where you're teaching adults, whether it's a, a Sunday school class or elsewhere? And do you, do you, have you used some of these tactics with adult classes? Adults become, okay, so a thing about children. Okay. Once they trust you, they are open books and they're loving and they want to be there. Even the most um, dis respectful child who is active and moving all over the place still is an open book and still will come and love me and hug me once I gain their trust. Adults aren't like that. Hmm. They have this, this very strong wall that's in front of them. <laughs> and so trying to get them to move in front of that wall. Oh yeah. yeah. They don't like moving. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> they, it's all about them. Children. It's not about them. Yeah. Uh, except for 10 and 11 year old boys. And you have to use some of these other things. For instance, um, when I use flags and say, let's be like the Coast Guard, you know, to left, right, left, right, left. Then they start to move and sing and they don't realize they are. They're very conscious of their voice at 10 and 11. That's why 10, 11 year old boys don't sing well unless they're in front of a campfire and they don't care who hears them. Yeah. Yeah. And then you always see that sort of the, you know, in every primary program, there's that back row of, of boys who are about to become deacons who are just sort of, you can tell they're in that transition period out of primary, right? And so sometimes hard to unless, get them involved. Unless you challenge them with movements that even challenge yourself. Yeah. Then they're all about it. Oh, cool. I've never had boys sing louder than the 10 year old boys that are saying, I got this. Yeah. Yeah. You know, yeah. It's, energy that's a little scary, but it's great. <laughs> cool. Love it. All right. Uh, the third principle, line upon line is a great way for the brain to learn, especially as we sing the whole song. Maybe expound on that. Okay. So, you know, line upon line, precept on precept is in almost all the scriptures that we have. Um, so obviously the Lord wants us to know that, but um, John Medina, who is a University of Washington, um, what did he earn? A professor of the year award and he writes books once called brain rules brain rules for young children brain rules for teenagers brain rules for the aging brain you know he's written a lot of different books and one of the things that he found accidentally because they accidentally left the um little what's this called hooks yeah whatever yeah. they are things on the on the rat's brain there were way more print out of what was going on in the brain as the rat slept than there was when he was awake. And that's because sleeping is a time that the brain uses to organize and put things into where it needs to go and to put them in memory. And so when you teach line upon line a little bit, and then you sleep on it, and then you teach another little part of it and sleep on it, 
and then teach another part, the brain solidly puts it into where it needs to go and starts to understand it. Same thing with songs. So if I work on the rhythm one time, I work on the melody another time, I uh, work on gestures another time, that's three different Sundays. By that time, the brain says, okay, I've got a whole thing of, you know, places I've slept on this. I've got a good idea of how to hook into this song. And it, like I said, the children say, oh, I've always known that song. Yeah. You know, but they don't realize what you've done to help them always yeah. know that song. Yeah. So uh, do you ever encourage like kids practice at home? I mean, hopefully naturally they they sing the song here and there, but, uh, but you, you can, you can conquer all this in every, just doing this once a week in primary, right? Like as far as organized teaching. You practice. can. Yeah. A lot of people will send home things for the children to listen to and for the parents to turn on in the car mm -hmm. so that they can hear the song over and over again. One of the statistics that they know about is a young child, so a two-year-old, needs to hear a song about a hundred times before it becomes part of their being. And so a three-year-old is on 50 times. So think of your sunbeams. Yeah. You know, how are you going to sing this song 50 times for them? And then, you know, it only goes down to about 25 when you get to be a nine-year-old. Mm -hmm. You need to hear the song and hear the beat and hear the rhythm and hear the melody and hear the, the feel of it and hear the uh, timbre, which is the way that the voice resonates. Mm -hmm. You need to hear all that a lot before you can reproduce it and sing it. So yeah. I just think kids need to hear the songs in a whole bunch of different ways and they need to hear it line upon line. Yeah. You know, the whole song, but they're concentrating on this part. The whole song, but they're concentrating on that part. The yeah. whole song, but now they're concentrating on this part. And it's amazing what the brain does. Yeah. It's this cohesive memory of the song. So it would be good practice for a primary uh, music leader to at least let the parents know what songs they're singing and, and encourage them, hey, if you, you know, if you're in the car, it might be good to turn on this or that song. So another story. So I've had um, some children who literally do not pick up the manipulative that I give them. I lay down the rhythm sticks, uh, the wind wands are across their laps, and they just sit there the whole time and they watch the whole time. And the parent will call me and say, I don't know what you're doing, but my child is singing all the time at home. They never sang in primary singing time, but they're singing all the time at home. Yeah. And, and the children get their own repetitions because they'll, you know, sing and sing. Some of the nursery children, I had one nursery child who was singing, Babo the Frobbit, Babo the Frobbit, which is follow the prophet. Yeah, she yeah. couldn't say those words. Uh -huh. So she was singing the, the melody and the rhythm because she was giving herself more times of repetition. Interesting. So. Yeah, I love that. And I and my eight-year-old, he he does that. I mean, he he's I'll, and there's nothing like a, a just a a proud moment as a parent, or I don't know what I call it, just a, a very satisfying moment. Like suddenly you hear your son is who's sometimes a headache and you wonder if anything's sticking to just break out into or under his breath he's saying a primary song you know it's like yeah. okay maybe something's working here you know <laughs> so, Shoot. yeah i'm so yeah. glad anything else with as far as um the the line up online and did, did you cover it pretty well there yeah it it's it's something that um music leaders especially think they have to teach the whole song mm -hmm. in one session and if they don't, they will also say the ch children aren't singing, so they must not know the song on the third week that they've introduced it. 
But that's not exactly true. The children are still taking mm. in what they need and they're still processing, especially if they're actively involved, like we talked about. They're processing and they will come out with the whole song two weeks down the road, but not at that time. So I there's a post on, on Teaching Primary Music um, that says, but the children aren't singing mm-hmm. and what, what to expect and what's okay about that. Mm. It's, it's actually okay. Well, that's cool. That, I mean, that can be encouraging for a music leader who feels like they're failing, right? It's like, you know, things, they're not singing, <laughs> nothing's working. I, I did the song, I did the, you know, I held up the heart, I held up the, you know, whatever <laughs> the prayer hands. And uh, so that, that's encouraging. Um, do you do, I mean, you, you've definitely communicated the point as far as like getting them active in the actual song, right? Rather than just doing an activity, an activity. Do you still do, you know, I remember uh, Janice Luker would put on a big, um, a big apron with different pockets. And then we could go up there and put our hand in the pocket. And, you know, that was the next song we'd sing or whatever it was. I mean, do you still do something like that? Even though you, you know, it's not necessarily to help them learn the song. <laughs> You're asking me to divulge my Uh-oh. secrets. Oh, uh, well, hey, this is a hard-hitting <laughs> interview, Charlotte. <so. laughs> I started out like that when I started teaching, and I did that kind of thing. And I noticed that only one or two children could come up, maybe three or four at the very most, mm. and the others didn't get to be involved. And so, and it was choosing a song. So the the activity was focused on choosing the song, not the song itself. And so I have grown further and further away from that kind of thing. Um, I think it's great for an activity day or something like that. But when we are so focused with only 20 minutes, that's true. The gospel doctrine, I, I really focus in on these other kinds of things that have everybody involved and that have, you know, line upon line doing this part and this part and this part. Yeah. So, yeah, uh, that's helpful because I mean, and also it's just one less thing or multiple less things to worry about planning, right? Like, okay, Mm -hmm. I got to get this apron or I got to do this or that. Mm -hmm. Um, And so just keeping it simple and focusing on the songs and and doing the activity within the song, right? Yeah. That's really helpful. All right. Next principle is research shows that to keep the attention span of an adult active and attending to something, we need to change the pace every 10 minutes or so. Children need the change of pace every six to seven minutes. Now, this is interesting. Mm-hmm. So that's some brain research that has recently come out in the last 10 years. Um, if you think about it, adults will do different things to get themselves listening again, or they will check out and you'll see them on their phones mm-hmm. or you'll see them doodling or something. They're checked out because there is a limit to what the attention span can do. Unless you change focus for an adult every 10 minutes or do something different or have a different emotion or change the place where it's happening they check out. Children check out a little bit after six to seven minutes. They love their attention spans, love it. When you're doing this activity and then you switch, you're doing this activity and then you switch and you do another one, something calm maybe at the end um, so that their teachers, when you're releasing them to their classes, their teachers will thank you instead of um, curse you. So something (laughs) calm would be great. Yeah. Yeah, that's awesome. Um, anything else as far as uh, attention span goes? That That's a good uh, synopsis there. Change of pace is a big thing. Contrast is a big thing. Mm-hmm. Um, if you have everything black, 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 and then you have one white, you're going to remember the white. So get a song that is smooth and gentle, one that's pleading, get one that's March-like and teach all three of those, but with a different activity for each of them. That contrast helps the brain go chunk, chunk, 
chunk Mm -hmm. and, and they love it. There's a child that um, came up to me and he said, so what are we going to do next Sunday? And I said, well, we've done this and this and this, and I'll have something fun. You know, that he goes, yeah, you always do. And he walked (laughs) away. I was like, that was amazing. Yeah. Yeah. Because he's a hyperactive child. So I was, I was grateful for that. And this is, uh, you know, this, this, this time frame, six to seven minutes, as you're sitting down with, as a music leader, like, okay, I've got 20 minutes, so I'm going to need to have, you know, five or, yeah. or, or so shifts and changes or, you know, mm-hmm. to, to consider rather than just yeah. focusing on one song for 15 minutes, right? Yeah. So. They can do it. Children can do that. Mm-hmm. But you will kind of see some signs. The eyes wander off. The body starts humping back in the chair. Mm-hmm. You'll see some signs that they're not engaged anymore. Yeah, it's just it's just a really good way to use that principle and that research for primary music. Yeah. It's overwhelming to some primary leaders, but I'm not talking do a different game that you have to prepare right. eons for. I'm talking get a shaker. Yeah, I'm talking get a scarf. I'm talking make a melody map. So I don't know if you know what a melody map is. I have but- no idea. Okay, so see how it goes up and down? Uh huh. The words weren't originally there. The words the kids had to put in, uh, the older children, and say, okay, so name the apostles, prophets, pastors, teachers, evangelists, and so forth. So they had to look at where does it go up, <clears throat> where does it go down, and then put the words into it. With younger children, I just have them maybe go up with their bodies and then go down with their bodies. Oh, okay. And the words go down. So it's not, it's not that much prep. Yeah. And I think we've been doing that for years with Jesus Wants Me for a Sun Beam. And, we, you know, <laughs> I remember shooting out of my chair, you know, that beam. So you can do that with other songs. You don't have to always default yes. to that song to have that type of involvement, yes. right? Yes, yeah. <laughs> so that's awesome. What Any um, advice with the adult uh, teachers in the room? Like, do you just, is it worth uh, acknowledging they're in the room or you're just focused on the kids for those 20 minutes? Or is there anything you do to to involve them or oh oh yes oh yes 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 (laughs) so if they are the leaders if they are the example if they are what the kid follows the teachers need to be the ones most doing the actions gotcha most doing the the things most trying to get the complicated pattern that i have them do sometimes with a um i will do this pattern and and the teachers are like what Uh and i slow it down and then i say okay you guys everybody watch the teachers and see if they're doing it right and the teacher's like because they're not used to having to move right Uh because adults don't like that Uh very much but then the children gather around their teacher and they support them and they help them and it's an amazing thing. And the teachers like singing time way better when they're involved too. Yeah. Yeah. And like and you said, the, the time flies by, you know, because it's so enjoyable. By. So yeah. Awesome. Uh, all right. Next principle, each child takes in information in a slightly different way and the brain craves variety. Anything we haven't touched on with that? Oh yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I bet. <laughs> so in the 1980s, there was a huge study done about how people take in information, IQs, mm-hmm. right? Do we really have just one IQ or are there several different categories of it? And um, it's called multiple intelligences. And um, I was trying at that time when it came out, I was trying to help my daughter. 
And I thought there must be more than one way to learn. She's there's got to be something because they destroyed a lot of the highways for learning in her brain. There must be back roads that I could use. And I found a book by Thomas Armstrong that is um, every child is a genius. And it talks about having them take information in the way that they like them. Hmm. Um, You take information in through logic, you take information in through movement. You know, there's our people that say, I feel it in my gut. They literally are finding now that you have thinking things that connect to your stomach. Yeah, your gut. yeah. Um, there, uh, there's ways that you can take in information through music. There are people who can remember songs. They can tell you any commercial that's to a song yeah. because they just remember it really well. Um, there's another one. It's called Interaction with People. It comes after about age seven um, in the development of a, of a child. When you have all those girls talking in the back, that's because they exchange information and they take in information by interacting with other people. Mm-hmm. Um, there are there are boys that do not do that, and there are <laughs> girls that do not do that. But there are boys that need to talk too, right? All these different ways of taking in information, and so I I really think that we need to teach a different way every time we teach a song, so that we reach that child's way of taking information. I had to narrow it down because there's eight or nine different areas that um, were done in that study. So one of the ones that I did, um, I said, you know, you've got to make the music come alive. Mm -hmm. So you've got to do like a rhythm band. You've got to do melody maps. Um, A subdivision of that is purposeful movement to a steady beat. I'm really big on that one. Mm -hmm. Because it does so much for the kids. You also have to have something that's intriguing. A common thing um, for people to do is to show pictures and then the kids know what to sing. They call them flip charts and they put them up there and they say, the kids don't know it without the flip chart. And I say, let the flip chart fall to the floor and say, oh, kids, man, I got them all out of order. As I sing this song, can you put it in order? Which is an intriguing thing for the brain. Mm or concentration, you know, the concentration that was an old, old TV show where you had to match this and match that, put up different pictures and cover them and then have the kids lift up and try to remember where's those pictures that are matching as you sing the song. So they're taking in something visual. They're hearing the song in the background. They're hearing the beat. They're hearing the rhythm because you're singing. But at the same time, they're trying to connect and trying to remember. It just makes the brain come alive. Yeah. And here's the fourth one, you need to have concrete representations of a word. What they know about children is that they put together what words mean that you're saying, blah, blah, blah. Because remember, they're two, one, two, three, by gestures and by the context. And so if you make a gesture that says, you know, love, of course, they're going to, okay, I get that. But what if you say, you know, something like that? Um, I choose the right when the choice is placed before you in the right, you know, and you do something like that. They're like, what, what, is, what is she trying to say? Yeah. What, you know, that's what a three and four and five-year-old it's really, really good. ASL is a great way. Yeah. My, that's where my mind went. The love one another, right? This uh-huh. we've all learned that exactly. sign, right? <laughs> exactly. So. And um, a lot of um, people who are deaf would love me to use only ASL signs for their deaf children. Uh-huh. But at the same time, I know from research, Carla Hannaford, um, why learning is not all in your brain, uh, because it's called smart moves. Um, She says you really do have to have um, gestures 
and movements that show kind of what the context of the word means. And it's not necessarily SL. It can be house, right? Mm-hmm. And the children will go, oh, oh, okay, I get that. They help the children learn uh, the context. And another thing about it is when you give a, a non-reading child words up there, they don't, they don't actually symbolize very well. They don't know what you're talking about because they don't read and they feel dumb. Mm-hmm. They don't want to feel dumb, but they do. They feel like they should know what it says. There are some four and five-year-olds that do read, but there are many that don't read very well. Mm-hmm. So just use a concrete representation, something that shows what the words mean rather than writing it out in symbols. Yeah. So even for the children who, who can we read, the older ones, you don't even worry about putting words in any form for them to actually read? Um. Well, that's a good question because yes, I do. Okay. All right. That's true. <laughs> so there's a thing called um, Eraser Pass where I put up the words to the song, but with each word for the song is two words that are not in the song. And as I sing the song, they have to pass the eraser to somebody and erase a word that is not in the song. Mm. It takes a lot of concentration. They help each other. No, not that one. Erase that one. You know, um, I try and get them to calm down a little bit, but <laughs> they um, they are seeing the song. But the thing they don't realize is when it's a, a word like resurrection, I have two words around that resurrection that means similar things so that they can have kind of an idea, live again, you know come back to life, you know, that kind of thing. They can have an idea of what that word means without, without even having to ask. Yeah. What does, what does redemption mean? What does resurrection mean? Yeah. Yeah. Those kind of big words. Yeah. That's really helpful. Just uh, again, recognizing that the children, there's going to be a variety of ways that those children are taking in information, right? And so not just to default to one or assume how you take information. That's how they will take in information. There's various yes. approaches. Yeah. We um, have a lot of teachers who are very word oriented in the school system. Mm-hmm. And that's the way they take in information best. But they don't realize that a lot of children are visual oriented and they need visual kinds of stimulation. There are children that know what color you wear every week. Yeah. You may not know, but they take in information that way. Yeah. So really helpful. It's got to got to be varied in the way that you do things. Love it. Last principle is bear a short, sincere testimony every week. What does that look like? So it seems like it would be so obvious if we're the gospel doctrine teachers for the biggest group of investigators in the church Mm. and the biggest group of brand new members in the church that you should bear testimony a lot. But um, I personally, just my heart bleeds for leaders that stand up and they're bearing a testimony and the child standing upside down on the chair on his head, right? He's not with them. He's not there. So there's certain things that make it really positive for them. Number one, you have to prepare. You have to be able to put what you really know, because boy, children are like hound dogs. They know if you're not being sincere. You have to uh, put all of the, the sincerity that you know something into one or two sentences, they have to, they can sense whether you're sincere uh-huh. and they can sense whether you really know it. That's you. You've got to prepare yourself. You've got to prepare the children. You've got to be able to say um, to the children, you're, you're here, you're with me, you're engaged, you're all bright eyed. You're not, you know, kicking the chair in front of you. And then you freeze. I know that God lives. He loves me and he's shown me. You can know that too. Boom, go on to the next thing. Yeah. And 
it's amazing. It, the children are like, oh yeah, okay, she knows, good. Yeah. And but if you talk longer than that, they don't have that same reaction. So you have to prepare yourself, prepare the children, pause and go, just do it, and do it every single week. It's hard to remember as you're getting the beat, as you're getting the melody, as you're doing, trying to remember all the words to the song, because you're the, you're the fount of knowledge. You're the one that has to know the song. And then, oh yeah, I have to bear my testimony too. <sighs> so yeah, it, it's something that you have to consider. That's uh, really helpful. Um, talk to us just in the context of a sacrament primary program. What's give us a crash course on some tips for, for that come to mind for a sacrament primary program. So, uh, number one, the primary program is not the culmination of the children's experience. Mm. Unfortunately, sometimes we think it is, but I don't know very many children that love the primary program. And I definitely don't like to practice for it more than once or twice. Mm, interesting. It, they don't like it very much. The culmination for them is what they feel during each one of those times that you've had a, a, a tender moment with the children, when you've borne your testimony, when they had a lot of fun doing a rhythm band, when they love doing the, the handbells and they make that noise that the release site in the whole building can hear. <laughs> you know, that they, those are culminations for them. For us, we want to present, okay, here's what the children are learning. Yeah, sort of, it's a little window into it, yeah. but it takes a ton of work. So if you do four different ways of teaching the songs, four different, four different weeks, the children pretty much know that song pretty well. I, um, not this year, but the year before, um, I had really prepared the children in the ways that the, each of the songs were deeply memorized. Oh my goodness. I had to tone them down. <laughs> Whoa, whoa, yeah. wait, wait. <laughs> you know, there are shyer children that you don't have to tone down. Yeah. This particular year, I had some really shy children, who, very shy, who it was a big deal to get up in front. So we had our tallest bishopric member, six something in the back going like this. <laughs> you know, and they were looking at him and being louder for him. Um, so it's a whole different experience. Um, the if they know the songs deeply, they're going to sing with their hearts. The, the speaking part's a whole different ball game. So yeah, yeah, yeah. There's there's some there's some great hints out there for those. But remember, it's not the culmination of the children's year. Mm, that's it's really helpful. A, it's a little snap snapshot. Yeah. Yeah, because for the adults, it can feel that way. Really, you know, you just sort of oh, yeah, it just feels that way. I mean, we want to display to the ward that everything we've learned this year here we go you know and including uh -huh. songs or whatever it is but uh, uh -huh. that's really helpful um anything else any other point principle uh, obviously there's so much more we go over but anything else we <laughs> need to make sure we include in this in this interview or do we do we do a good job Charla? did you oh. <laughs> do a good job <laughs> so what i i guess for me i'm passionate that children just came from heavenly father they, uh, if you give them the chance, if you bear testimony and you're sincere and you're engaging them in ways that are good for their age development, for their brain, for their, you know, for variety and all of those kinds of things that we've talked about, they, they know, they, they deeply, yeah, uh, yeah, of course he lives. I, I just came from there. Yeah, 
Oh, yeah. They accept it very, very well. It's when they become the critical thinkers. Um, about age eight, they go into what's called a logic phase. And some things are not more important than others, which is great. You want them to know that. But it also means that they question a lot. They question what you're doing. I don't really have to sing that song. You know, it's not as important as something else. But if you pull them in with the activities that are fun for them, that are challenging for them, they don't they don't have to question. And then when you give your testimony, they don't question you either. They're like, oh, Sister Dance knows. Yeah. That's fantastic. So I have a testimony that children are wonderful to teach. They're also challenging. You need to know about all the different kinds of things. But boy, are they, I just love children. Yeah. I love teaching them. Yeah. Wow. And what a gift. That's, that's awesome. Uh, I, again, the, the, your, uh, to find more resources, go to teachingprimarymusic.com. Is that the best place to land and, and dive in head first? Okay. And if they're a Facebook user, you know, okay. the, for the Facebook page that I don't like the name of <laughs> Charlotte dance teaching methods cool. is a, a place where a lot of things are shared and people discuss and yeah. give, I try, I try not to be, um, you know, a one all be all because they're just good principles yeah. and they're just research that I've gathered. And I think you know, anybody can do them. That's the thing. Yeah. But, but there's a level of skill. It's a harder calling than most callings in the church. You have to be able to sing. You have to know children. You have to be able to move quickly in your lesson plan. You have to be able to have beat and rhythm. Oh, and you have to have a testimony. Oh, and you have to be able to memorize the song. <laughs> Other than that. Yeah. <laughs> You'll be begging for an easy calling like Bishop or Lisa, any president, right? The <laughs> oh, there you go. <laughs> nice. That's all different. That's right. That's right. Well, Charlotte, this has been so helpful. And we'll link to all those uh, resources in our show notes and whatnot. Uh, the last question I have for you is, as you reflect on your time of being a primary music leader, how has being a leader helped you become a better follower of Jesus Christ? Every time I want to bear testimony to the children. Oh, so every week? Yeah, every week. I have to say, what do I really believe about the temple? I love to see the temple. I'm going there someday. Do I really believe that? Then I have to pray about it. Um, I feel my Savior's love in all the things of the world around me. Do I really believe that? Yeah, I do. Mm -hmm. And so I have to be touched by the songs deeply. And then it's so great to have those songs because you're struggling so hard to memorize the words and all of the words of the three different, sometimes four different songs running through your head throughout the week. And and you can go, um, I lived in heaven a long time ago, it is true. Yeah, it's true. It gives you a whole different perspective on life. So I would say that for me personally, wow, testimony building because I have to bear testimony to the children, because the songs bear testimony, because they go into a different part of your brain than the other parts. So it's great. And that concludes this How I Lead interview. I hope you enjoyed it. And I would ask you, could you take a minute and drop this link in an email, on social media, in a text, wherever it makes the most sense, and share it with somebody who could relate to this this experience. And this is how we how we develop as leaders, just hearing what the other guy's doing, trying some things out, testing, adjusting for your area, and 
that's where great leadership's discovered, right? So we would love to have you uh, share this with uh, somebody in this calling or a related calling, and that would be great. And also, if you know somebody, any type of leader, who would be a fantastic guest on the How I Lead segment, uh, reach out to us. Go to leadingsaints.org slash contact. Maybe send this in individual an email letting them know that you're going to be suggesting their name for this interview. We'll reach out to them and... Uh, see if we can line them up. So again, go to leadingsaints.org contact, and there you can submit all the information and let us know. And maybe they will be on a future How I Lead segment on the Leading Saints podcast. And remember, to get on the email newsletter list, simply go to leadingsaints.org 14. It came as a result of the position of leadership which was imposed upon us by the God of heaven who brought forth a restoration of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And when the declaration was made concerning the own and only true and living church upon the face of the earth, we were immediately put in a position of loneliness. The loneliness of leadership from which we cannot shrink nor run away, and to which we must face up with boldness and courage and ability.